Welcome to Iodine Intelligence, empowering intelligent care. Welcome to Iodine Intelligence, empowering intelligent care, a podcast brought to you by the experts at Iodine. I'm your host, Lauren Hickey. Each fall, Iodine hosts a client symposium, Iodine Connect, that brings together leaders in CDI, UM, and revenue to share insights, expertise, and proven strategies for tackling some of healthcare's biggest challenges. For this month's episode, we're bringing you a session from 2023's Iodine Connect. We hope you find this session to be enlightening. Let me go ahead and get started. My name is Michelle Rivoli. I'm one of the clinical product consultants here with Iodine. And um, I have a little bit of CDI experience, and in my former life, I was a CDI manager, and I had the privilege of implementing iodine across 14 of my hospitals across three different regions, um, and then subsequently um, was able to implement Artifact. So I have some experience with both products from a CDI leadership standpoint, and this is a topic that is pretty near and dear to my heart, so I am super excited to... Um, have two of our wonderful um, clients here with us. And I have Rhoda Chisholm, which I know she was um, speaking earlier. And I have Cleopatra Hyman. So I'm going to let um, Rhoda introduce herself first, and then Cleo can. I am Rhoda Chisholm. I'm the CDI director at Steward. I I talked to you all earlier. Um, I've been a nurse since I was 19 years old back in 1989. That's so scary, 19 years old. So I could serve you, I couldn't serve you a beer, but I could give you Dilaudid or morphine. Um, I'm somewhat of a late bloomer. I didn't get my bachelor's degree until I was 45, but I got a master's degree in health leadership um, when I was 50, so four years ago. And um, its focus was population health and quality metrics. So that's that's why that's near and dear to my heart. Um, I worked in CDI since 2001 after spending time. I'm an old CCU nurse. That's my nursing love. But I did some time in the ER, utilization review, and um, case management. I was the CDI educator um, at another hospital. And then I joined Steward back in 2021 and transition to director July of this year. Thank you. Can everyone hear me? I talk low. So my name's Cleopatra Hyman. Um, I've been a nurse since 2004. Um, <laughs> I started in the um, NICU step down. Um, I actually went to school, fun fact, in Vancouver, British Columbia. Uh, so that's where I was, grew up as a kid. Moved here about uh, since 2008, and I started at Children's National, which is where I am today. I started as a bedside nurse um, on the med surge unit. Then I worked um, my way into case management in 2013 after I had my first child. Um, the schedule was worked well for me and my family, um, but loved utilization management. That's that's kind of how my mind works with nursing. And usually when a patient is in the hospital, I'm like, what, what are you doing here? Why, why are you still here? We're just you know playing all day. Um, so UM was is near and dear to my heart. Um, after a few couple of years, actually in 2015, um, we were looking to revamp our CDI program, which had been in effect really since 2009 with a group of two nurses. Um, so my vice president came to me and was like, Cleo, hmm, you're, you do such great work with UM. I'd like you to be the CDI, CDI manager as well as the, U, the UM manager. Um, so I took that on in 2015 and left. Loved it. I'm still there today. I'm the director of case management and CDI. 
and we have Interact as, as a platform tool for us, and we were the first pediatric facility to implement Interact back then was Artifact. Thank you, Dan. Um, but yeah, we, we love it today, and you know we're looking where we can grow our CDI program in the future. Fabulous. Thank you, ladies. Um, I'm going to have first Rhoda, if you wouldn't mind, just give us a little bit um, of information about Steward, if you would, again. Um, Steward, we have hospitals in eight states, 33 hospitals in eight states. It is the largest physician-owned and led um, private for-profit hospital. Um, so we have physician leadership in every single level. We're in a lot of low-income areas. We have some smaller hospitals, and then we have um, some of our flagship hospitals in Boston and then also in Miami, but they're all mostly in underserved areas. Um, our hospitals are very diverse. It's, it's, we actually even have a director of diversity inclusion um, for Steward to make sure that we're meeting the needs of our patients and our staff. Um, I have staff members from Nigeria, um, from Pakistan, we're, we're very and extremely diverse. We also employ, as CDSs, we have, um, we have a couple of LVNs that are excellent. They are certified, and we have RNs, and we have quite a few of foreign-trained medical doctors. Fabulous. Cleo? So at Children's National, um, there are eight nurses total that do CDI. One of them is an educator. Um, we are actually right now trying to implement a program initiative called Stronger 2025, where we're looking at our CDI metrics and really trying to try to grow that program. Um, we have a 0.5 CDI physician advisor that's shared by three docs. Um, that's, a, and again, another area that we're looking to partner with more with our physicians to grow that because, as you know, change doesn't happen without physician input. Um, and then with that, we work very closely with our coding team. So coding is, is um, under the HIM umbrella. Um, and we really look at that to see how we can decrease our mismatches from the CDI review to, to the final coding review. Um, and that's something that we do on a weekly basis with the CDI leadership team and the case management team and the coding team. Sorry, switch my hat. <laughs> Fabulous. Thank you, ladies. Okay, well, I am super excited to be able to ask you a few questions. I kind of feel like a talk show host a little bit up here, so I'll try to do a good job. And so one of the first questions that I'm hoping we can um, have our panelists ask is or answer is, how does your CDI workflow leverage iodine software to drive efficiency and empower your team to work at the top of license? That's my first question. So whoever wants to take a stab at it. Um, well, I can take a stab at that because in 2021, we had to somewhat re-roll out iodine because you have to use it appropriately for, for it to work as well as it does. So what we did, we basically went back to the drawing board. If you will have, and, and we have workflow written out, you do this, you do this, then you do this, then you do this. Um, so what we have our... Um, our staff do is start out with their high priority discharges that are assigned to them and then go into their high priority list. We don't have them. If anything's in low priority that needs to be looked at, that is something that the manager will make the decision. But if you follow the workflow, you can have 
uh, you review a whole lot more charts. We had people reviewing like 10 charts a day because they would use iodine for their list and then go in and look at every single document in Meditech. And like I said earlier, I miss soap notes terribly. <laughs> so why would you do that when iodine is already reading everything and it brings you what um, is your opportunities? So that's what we've taught as the workflow you go to those opportunities. You don't have to read every little sentence in that um, record. You go to your opportunities and um, methodically go through those and then methodically look at your vitals just because I have to have, I just have to double check and then I'll, I'll look at my labs. So if you do that, you have a query on almost every high priority case there is. Now you come, you know, you you grade those, you rank those queries in your head because I could send 10 queries on a record. Um, but we don't want to make the providers query weary and like the, um, the HEMA and um, ACTUS guidelines say, you know, not every diagnosis needs to be clarified. Um, but if you follow that process, your review rate will go up. You can get in and out of a chart in 15 minutes, even for a really, really sick patient. And um, because you click on it and iodine takes you right there. That's why I said, you know, I didn't necessarily have to have iodine to review a chart because I've done this so long, but it certainly um, makes it easier. So if you don't have a defined workflow, like do this, then do this, then do this, then do this, uh, I suggest that you do that. It will increase your performance and your return on investment. So in the pediatric world, um, <laughs> Uh, so we, we are still very um, manual um, because of our systems that we do have. So we have used 3M for our review process for CDI, um, but we're also a Cerner shop. Um, Interact is our tool that we use for queries, which is, it, it literally has turned, our response rate is almost 100%. Um, previously, before um, Artifact Interact came into play, we were sending emails and chasing after physicians and our queries weren't getting answered. Um, there's really no CDI impact. Um, so I, you know, I'm a champion for Interact stating that it does improve our quality of documentation based on the queries that our CDI team is sending. Um, we are reviewing our discharges as a priority um, because the way really our workflow is, if CDI does not review it and then the patient discharges, our, our physician cultures really put everything on the discharge summary really throughout the, on the progress, so there's really not that a lot of information, and then they decide to say, okay, the patient's discharged, now we can put everything down. And at that time, previously to us changing our workflow, our CDI nurses were not seeing all of that, anything really in the documentation to capture any query opportunities. Um, we've increased our query opportunity by almost 50% um, with this new workflow, which has only been about six months this year. Um, that's us using the data that we're getting from our, our query responses and what we're querying, and also just our impact that we were seeing because our financial impact really was not as high and that's because we weren't sending as many queries. Um, so that has been helpful um, with us changing our process and again, putting everything step by step and saying do your discharges first, then we're doing our discharges, no CDI review. We also do have a three day hold um, from coding as well to allow the CDI nurses to go in and review those discharges. High dollar patients are a priority prior to coding, final coding, because once it's final coded, then we, we've lost that opportunity. So that's something that we've put into place. It's interesting that your discharge summaries have information because our discharge they, summaries they do. are they awful. Have They're terrible. <laughs> the um, progress notes are copy-based. So that's why, and 
we had a new manager that started um, a year or so ago, and when I started evaluating what she was doing, I was seeing, and I called Sylvia, the manager. We've worked together for quite a while, and I'm like, oh, my gosh, because they were focusing on everybody that discharged. And in the adult world, if you don't catch them concurrently, the responses to the queries aren't as good, and the physicians tend to get little angry if you're asking about a patient. So it's real important, at least in our organization, to stay as concurrent as you possibly can. Yeah, you, you pick up um, what's discharged. If it's, if it's already assigned out to them, then they missed it from the day before because, mm-hmm. you know, the auto assign goes out every morning at 5 o'clock. So I tell them um, that it's like being a nurse. If you get seven patients that day because you're short, you don't get to decide, well, gee, um, I only need six patients, so I'm only seeing these six and passing meds on those. I'm not going to do number seven. So if you get something assigned to you, it is your patient, and it needs to be done. We're all salaried, so um, I, I think that gives a little um, little encouragement, too, to, to work a little faster that not that I'm a huge numbers person because I'm not, but I expect with iodine you can monitor every little keystroke. So if you find out that somebody took a four-hour lunch Mm -hmm. and they only reviewed 10 patients, the reports in iodine will show that. So you can more effectively manage. Some people require no management. Um, I told somebody at lunch, being in leadership, that has been a huge eye-opener for me. People will rise to what you expect, but when I was the drive-through girl at Druthers, you know, I wanted to be the best drive-through girl at 18. That's not inherent to um, to every single person, I don't think. So, the the reports and tools in iodine, if you utilize them, it can help you with your workflow. And you can, and not only, you know, you don't want to punish somebody. You want to find out, hey. You know, Sylvia had to talk to one of her staff, hey, what's going on? So she found out a whole lot of crisis information that was going on in her life that probably if she hadn't looked at that productivity report would never have known. So she could deal with her with grace. That builds your, um, you know, it makes people more apt to stay at your organization because turnover Turnover is not a great thing. We all know how hard it is to feel. And then CDI, I say for a year anyway, you're like, what on earth am I doing? Mm-hmm. So by using those reports, um, you can help your, your staff work more effectively and intervene if somebody needs a little encouragement or if they if they need some grace. Yeah, I agree. Um, the data definitely helps to drive change. Um, also keeping a standard process. So if you have a standard process, um, and really holding everyone accountable to, the, to doing the same thing, it does help, especially when you do go in and you see the four-hour gap and you're like, what, what's going on? Um, the other piece of that is looking to see how long it's taking someone to do a review. Um, it could, someone could be in there for three minutes and you're like, did you read anything? Or someone could be in there for two hours and then you're like, what are you reading for a two-day admission? So um, it's very helpful to definitely use your data to drive the change, but also I would just stress um, to keep a standard process and hold everyone really at the same, same accord. Thank you. Fabulous. Um, I wanted to ask you, Rhoda, a little bit about when you have your workflow to um, get into the discharge cases. Do you also have them review unassigned discharges? 
We do have them review unassigned discharges, but it's so important to stay concurrent mm -hmm. that that comes at the yeah. end. Okay. Um, the high priority discharges we try to capture, but the assigned high priorities get done first, mm -hmm. then you move on to your high priorities and, um, and then you go down the list. And then um, we have floats that can help catch those unassigned high priorities and we'll assign those out. Um, but we don't encourage anybody to stay. Nobody needs to be diving into low priority. We watch for that. And if they are, we, we want to find out what's, what's up with that. Because we know that chances are there's not going to be a query opportunity or it's not going to be anything that's going to drive anybody. Um, we are huge working on risk adjustment. To me, the quality piece is the most important piece that we do. CC and MCC capture rate is great, but if you get the quality right, the appropriate reimbursement will follow. And that was new when I came to Steward. Um, they were querying for like what I did in 2001, CC and MCC capture. Yeah, you gotta have you gotta have uh, a margin to have a mission. And Steward, you know, it is for a mission, um, so you have to get paid. But more importantly, and I think people are recognizing it more now, as we move forward, value-based purchasing and quality scores are just gonna get bigger and bigger. So if, if your program's not looking at risk adjustment, which the new beta conditions, if you've got iodine, you know the new beta conditions came out, like who would have ever thought that hypokalemia was such a big deal? That would be something that I would never query for. But if you catch those things and they're present on admission, we were talking, uh, Fran was talking about observed to expected mortality. You know, you can't do a whole lot about the observed except take really good care of your patients and hope they don't die. But that expected mortality is where CDI can make a huge difference. And while it's important that we do mortality reviews to capture, you know, the SOI and ROM on all of those patients, what's probably more important and not as intuitive, everybody that lives and discharges, those if you get somebody to a four and a four and they go out of your hospital and they risk adjust by what's present on admission, that's where you make the biggest bang for your buck is everybody that lives and discharges with, uh, with all the comorbid conditions. And y'all know since, well, comorbid, um, there, there are plenty of comorbid conditions. And I found out this week, yesterday, or the day before, I'm confused, did you know that when somebody has a basket retrieval of a stone, the AKI does not count as a CC? Chinatum's nodding. She's smarter than me. Well, I found that out this week. So uh, that's just, you know, and I say that it's like when we figure something out. When I started, atrial fib was a CC and COPD was a CC, and I grew up in Kentucky where everybody smokes, so we had CCs, you could see it on the chest X-ray, and we'd say, is this patient have COPD? And the doctor say yes, so you, that, um, that was all a CC. But about the time we figure one thing out is when CMS comes up and changes it. So it's an ever, if you, if as a CDS, I've learned something just about every single day, um, learned something new, so, I forgot where I was even going with that. <laughs> but it just made me think about that. And, you know, October 1, let's see what they do to us this year. Same way with AHRQ, um, the, the changes that, that go into there. So if you're not doing risk adjustment and querying for everything, 
that's reasonable, you really need to put that into your workflow because it's going to get bigger and bigger and bigger and value-based purchasing is here to stay. <clears throat> Thank you. So for a second, let's switch gears and talk about change management for a second. And do you have any insider tips to offer when implementing and or really kind of sustaining, maintaining um, iodine slash or concurrent slash interact products? I mean, for us in pediatrics, um, it, it's constantly changing. So October 1, we're going to get new, new information. Um, mm -hmm. And then we have to go in and look at our diagnosis that's in the pediatric world and figure out, okay, how do we update our charge master? Um, it can get really get down to the nitty gritty, especially in the rev cycle field, to ensure that we are catching what the coding guideline says, but also ensuring that we're billing the right way. Um, so there's a lot of work um, in, in terms of getting those updates, and then we go back to start educating our physicians. So again, data, that really is what drives the change and, and maintaining things. So if something does update and change, we do use that information to update what we're doing concurrently at Children's National. Um, our, we do have an analyst that, um, that literally runs our report every week, and we, look at, we really get down to every CI nurse to really look at what their query rate is, what their opportunities are. Are, they, are there patients that they're reviewing that they don't really need to review? Um, with that information, we've actually eliminated three services out of our daily review and put them in like a pickup bucket um, because there are no opportunities there, um, which is how we kind of prioritize. We really don't use the prioritization list at this time, but in the future, that will be coming, Dan. Um, and just really looking to see what opportunities we, are, we have with those patients to be able to utilize the tool more effectively. Um, so we, have a, we do have a, a lot um, of work really to do in, at Children's and just really grow the program and really start looking at things as, as change is happening. And we're now this post-COVID era, now pre-COVID, because COVID rates have gone back up. So who knows what's to come. Can you speak, I'm sorry, I have another question for her. Can you speak to when you implemented the artifact, it was artifact then, and how, what tips do you have for someone that's going to be possibly implementing that tool for the providers? Because I know it can, you know, it seems kind of scary. Yeah, it, it, it is. It's a new software, something, one other thing that we're asking our physicians to do. Um, so a lot of the things is just to have that physician buy-in. Um, if the physicians don't want to do it, it you're not going to get good outcomes. So have that physician champion. So, um, we, at the time when we implemented, we did have a physician advisor that was really close to our CMO, and he would go up to his office, and then we, our CMO really, really was not a fan of Artifact. We actually had a physician that said to us, you're going to tell me what to write in my documentation? That is illegal. Um, and he's actually one of our physician champions right today. So... Um, it's really changing the mindset of using a really an AI tool to help kind of drive change. Um, and it doesn't take away the fact that you are a physician and yes, you know what you're doing. And we're not telling you what to do, but we're helping ensure that our, our documentation that's out there can paint the picture of we're not just taking care of kids that are coming in to play with us. These kids are actually dying, but you need to state that what you're doing. So. Um, like, for example, we had a, an, I was telling someone earlier today that um, our kids are resilient. So they'll come in. We had a patient that came in, bronchiolytic, came in, length of stay was only a day, not even, not even a full 24 hours. 
But this patient was in our ICU, was on high flow, 16 liters. Literally, if he did not come to the hospital, who knows what, what would have happened. Um, but within eight hours, this child bounced right back, went on room air, and was discharged within 18 hours of admission. Um, that, of course, the insurance company was like, oh, this is observation. They shouldn't even come to the hospital. But um, using that information, what we know in, in, for, in the clinical side is to state, you know, if this patient did not come to our facility, who knows what would have happened. Um, we were able to actually do a CDI review on that encounter. It was very high on the SOIRM report. Um, sent that out. Appealed it with the, with the insurance company. It was a return. We were paid, and then we had a quality review and a quality outcome relief for that one example. Um, and that's multiple. So it's again just partnership with the physician partners and payers even to help really drive change when you implement a new product. Mm -hmm. I have one Change management. <laughs> Did y'all have y'all ever read that book? Who moved my cheese? Yes. Yes. You know, you find your route to your cheese, and you want to just keep going to that route because you know that route, and it's the easiest thing to do. But your cheese is going away, so you need to learn a new route. Um, that's basically dealing with humans. You know, you need to get comfortable with change, and in healthcare. You know, back when I started being a nurse, I remember when the cardiologist used to say that estrogen protected a woman's heart. That's why she didn't have MIs. Well, we figured out that was that was wrong. Um, we used to put those MIs to bed for about seven days, too. We figured out that was wrong. So the one thing that's certain in healthcare is change. People don't like change. Some people are better than others. But as a leader, what you have to do when the decision is made, you know, behind closed doors, when you're when you're talking with the other managers and the leaders and you're deciding what to do, uh, yeah, you might be, no, this is not right. But when that decision is made and you need to be the biggest cheerleader for that decision, you don't tell the staff, well, they're making us get iodine, but I don't know that it's going to work. You have to build the confidence that, yes, iodine will work, and then you have to hold them to account to following the workflows. And sometimes that's hard because um, they'll think that they know better and that they've always done it this way. I'm Baptist, so I can also say that, you know, in the Baptist meetings, well, we've never done it that way before. Well, change happens. So um, you have to be the cheerleader, and you have to monitor to make sure that the change is initiated, and then you have to monitor that it continues. It's a whole lot of monitoring, a whole lot of cheerleading, and a whole lot of counseling when they try to go... Um, and, you know, what we've heard numerous times over the past two and a half years, we didn't even know what we didn't know. So um, now some of those skeptics, and I was one, are some of our biggest champions for iodine. So um, that, that's the thing with change management. Implement, monitor, 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 and cheerlead. Thank you. That actually, my next question was, how do you drive the CDI engagement and foster adherence to best practice? Well, um, but I think you, you touched on it a little yes. bit. And, and you know, we started this year, and I learned it in our ACTUS conference. I mean, we have a great orientation, but in the in the days of the virtual world, if you all have read some of the studies about loneliness and people not engaged, you know, suicide and drug overdoses have gone up. We have our, um, our preceptors that are one-on-one -on -one with the staff. 
Well, now we have created a buddy program. So you have a CDI that's just like your best friend at work. So they call you every day to check in and not about orientation, but um, what'd you do this weekend or just to build a relationship. And our auditors have been, they, we started the Ask an Auditor program like Sylvia spoke about earlier. So when you've got that group of highly established CDIs, CDSs, and they mentor the, the newer CDSs and treat, teach them the uh, appropriate process, and then when you start seeing results, you share those results. Don't, you know, nobody wants to hear every time you have a meeting of everything that you've ever done wrong. You know, we get that, yeah. <laughs> you have to say, well, you know, we need to do this. But share those positive results, and you get more people um, in the boat rowing in the same direction. Because it's hard when you've got one or two backpedaling, and everybody else is rowing forward. So positive encouragement. Um, Re-implement, roll it back out, reteach. There are things that I've taught like 14 times, and but that 15th time, somebody gets it. Yeah, I would agree. Um, being their champion, and we implemented something called the, the Query Queen. We're all um, females in the department because um, we were our query rate at one point was like six percent, seven percent. It was really bad. Um, so, look, using the interact tool, of course, and helping us try to boost comfortability with sending queries, um, we had to make it fun. So the data that was shared weekly was, we need to do better, the numbers are low, you know, we're not, we're not meeting our metrics. We've changed that to, this is what we're doing. Look, look how many of these, these queries we send, what type of query opportunities do we need to start looking at? Um, we also have a focus month with the diagnosis. So malnutrition and pediatrics, for some reason, <laughs> the last seven years is still our number one query. Um, opportunity. Um, the physicians don't pull in that nutrition note into their documentation, so we're always having to create for that. Um, to the point where we're kind of tone deaf to malnutrition, but we're still trying, making that fun and be like, hey physicians, hey CDI nurses, continue to query. Um, because with that, it just, it can get, again, draining and like, you know, you don't want to bring anyone's morale down and to say, we're not doing this, we need to do more of that. Um, so really use that opportunity to ensure that they want to do what they want to learn and they want to continue and keep stay, stay engaged um, to continue to come to work every day because we are really mostly on site as well. So a lot of um, CDI programs have gone remote and we are on site, boots on the ground, rounding with the teams. Um, that's also, uh, you know, we lost a couple of CDI nurses to remote, um, remote work during COVID, but the nurses that did stay, you know, we want to ensure that they want to continue to stay with us and grow the program and not making it so cumbersome to, to drilling into them, stating, you're missing this, you're not doing this. Um, so that, that's really a big driver for, for myself, is just to keep it positive and be the driver for the change and ensure, also get them involved. Have them um, ask the questions and listen to them and actually use their thoughts and say, yes, I heard you, and we're actually gonna try that. Um, don't come at it like I know everything and you have to listen to what I have to say versus what do you have to say? You know, you guys are the ones that are doing this work. What's helping and what's not working? Um, and then we use that to really drive what, what we're going to implement. Thank you. I have another question um, regarding Interact. So obviously when we implement Interact, it's kind of big bang, if you will, right? It gets rolled out to everyone who's there at that time. What, what do you do when you have new physicians on board? How do you, how do you get them onboarded to interact? 
at your facility? We have a, a process with the medical staff office that a lot of times falls to poor Sylvia because the medical staff office doesn't enter um, the SARF. Interact itself, if you've not used it, is so intuitive that um, it, anybody could use it. They have, when you get it, it has the little sample query. Um, but we have managers that will go on site if needed. We also have CMOs and physician assistants who will help, but then um, other doctors at the facility. But the medical staff office, we have um, a brochure that Interact gave us, and then um, just the download instructions. And then we had to create a pop-up in Meditech because several would not download the application to their phone because because I don't know why, yeah. because we have the same issue. They didn't want us to track them, and they didn't want an app on their phone, and Stewart didn't pay for their phone. And I'm like, I pay my house payment on my phone. I do my banking, my credit card, everything's on my phone. But anyway, we did create a pop-up. They think they're answering in Meditech, but it takes them to interact. Then they see their buddies, and they're like, what are you doing? And they're like, well, I want that. So, well, that's it. That's what you'll get if you can ever get them to download the app. It's so much, so much easier. Yeah. But as long as they answer the queries, I'm fine with it. We report out to Dr. Diaz, the CMO of the entire company, is a huge Interact fan. So he sent um, a strongly worded email about how they had begged for an easier way to answer queries, and we had delivered and to please um, get on board with that. <laughs> so we still struggle with that, um, with our um, education. Um, our physicians, um, new residents come in every June, every year. I'm sure that's the same with most facilities. Um, our, we have one CDI educator, and our physician buy-in is still kind of 50-50. Um, we still have the same CMO that was not for it, uh, <laughs> Artifact back then, now Interact. Um, so it is it's something that we struggle with, is to get that education out there. Um, but we do, um, our educator every July 1 will send out an email to the chief residents who would then disperse the information out. Um, she's actually done a cartoon little pop-up of how, what Interact is and like a little guy talking. And if you have any questions, please reach out to the CDI educator. Um, so we, we've tried multiple different ways to get that out there. But our goal, hopefully in the near, near future, is to have phys our physician advisors drive that and bring that to their um, their service lines, and because they have monthly monthly service meetings to really bring that there monthly, um, so that they can see what and then they can ask questions. So we can be part of at the table and we can tell them what it's about, how easy it is, and interact is very intuitive. So very easy to, to use, um, and it's just having them look at it and be like, oh, okay, I didn't know what that was. Some of them, when they first get it, they think that it's junk, junk, so they <laughs> they don't answer it, and then we're like, hey, we sent you a query two days ago, what's going on? Oh, I deleted it, I thought it was junk mail. And that's because of the lack of education once they first onboard to the facility. We also carry candy when we went on site <laughs> to roll it out. And physicians, and I can say this because my daughter is one, so I raised one, they are some of the most competitive people that you'll find anywhere. So if you tell them that, well, um, Dr. Jones had 10 queries, he answered in 32 minutes, or when they get that little, they like to compare. So, and um, I had somebody tell me once in my previous job, he was like, well, well, my patients are sicker, just like Fran was saying. 
my patients are sicker than everybody else's. That's why my length of stay is longer because they're sicker. And so I'm like, prove it, prove it. That's what I've been telling you for the last year. Prove it. Once, once it gets into their head and, you know, I've heard so many lectures about how stupid it all is and it's just stupid and, you know, you commiserate, you're like, you know, I understand, Dr. Jones. I, you know, I completely, and those lectures when they want to tell you what pneumonia is or something, you smile and nod and say, but, you know, we have these rules that the government makes and we're just trying to keep us between the yellow lines and what you're saying clinically does not code. And then they tell you how stupid that is again. And I agree, I agree, but, uh, and then they do. So... It's an approach and um, letting them know what's in it for them. Sometimes it's candy or sticker. Positive reinforcement, too. <laughs> they love stickers and candy. Thank you to all our listeners for joining us this month. Make sure you're subscribed with Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever you like to listen so you never miss an episode. We'll be back next month with another episode. Until then, I'm your host, Lauren Hickey. Thank you for listening.